All right, so we're looking at Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 23. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. All men are like grass, and all man's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers, and the flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. So uh, let me pray for us before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be with us tonight. That by the power, uh, by virtue of your Holy Spirit, that you, uh, as the author of these words, that you would now be their teacher and their great applier. Father, would you work uh, in spite of our distractions Work in spite of our guilty consciences. Work in spite of so many of the the things that we bring tonight uh, that would prevent us from hearing your word. Would you do a great thing and let us hear from you? And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I I don't think that I even really need to have too much of an intro tonight other than to say that we're going to talk about sex tonight. Uh, because, yeah, it, it usually probably is not going to take a whole lot if, if you know that that's the topic to, uh, to pull everybody in. And I'm sure that I don't have to belabor the point. I don't have to do much to convince you, at least in most ways, that sex is a big deal. Because I think we uh, know that, at least on most levels. Right? It's how every one of us is here. Uh, everybody in this, uh, everybody has some sort of natural desire for it. Um, It's all over our culture from TV shows to movies to advertisements 
to the news and everything in between, the music we listen to, uh, it, can, it can on the one hand bring people uh, to the height of pleasure and, and intimacy with someone else. And it can grow families and be a wonderful thing. And it has ruined untold numbers of men and women and families at the same time. Right? It's a big deal. And so we would do well to, to deal with it wisely, I think. And so if you've been with us, you know that this semester we're studying through the book of Proverbs. And our theme every week is a life of wisdom. Because that's what Proverbs offers to us. It's a book of wisdom and a book about wisdom. And every week we say that wisdom is essentially, it's basically skill at living. Uh, living life well. And so tonight what we see is that Proverbs has a fair amount of, all, of wisdom to offer us on the subject of sex. And so uh, let me just sort of say here, I think this is the best spot, that Proverbs gives us this wisdom tonight, right? What we, what we just read uh, is it's given to us in the form of a father talking to a son. So this is a very specific context. But God has given, he put Proverbs in the Bible. And so it's for all of us. So I don't want you to think that, uh, that this is just for the guys. And that, you know, that maybe the message to the girls is, and don't lead guys astray or something like that. Right? You ha- it's fair for you to apply it to yourself. Right? So take that for what it's worth. And, uh, yeah, let's, we'll apply it to men and women alike. Um, all right, I want you to see four things basically tonight. We've got four points, which doesn't mean we're going to go longer than usual. But Four things. First, uh, I want you to see basically the big idea about sex. It's kind of a uh, broad-scale look at what it is. Secondly, we're going to look at how misusing sex seems to offer life. Thirdly, we'll see that misusing sex actually leads to death. And then fourthly, we'll look at some practical ways to avoid misusing sex. All right, so first, the big idea about sex. Um, I think we have to start by explaining what Proverbs, what Proverbs is really assuming uh, to be true, right? It's just in the... It's just in the, it's the air that Proverbs is going to breathe. And that's a basic idea of what sex is or what sex is for. And look, we don't have time, uh, we don't have time to do really scratch the, but scratch the surface of what we would like to do. But we don't have time to fully develop, right, a full um, understanding of the, of the biblical understanding of sex. But I want you to see the big idea, Okay. And I'm going to start here. Sex, sex was God's idea. He invented it, right? And so for, from the first people, even in, in, in Genesis, with Adam and Eve, what you see is that sex is designed for and actually only intended for to be in the context of a heterosexual marriage. Okay? It's all throughout the Bible. And that sex is actually... It's actually a living illustration of marriage. Okay, that's my big idea. That I think is the Bible's big idea. Not the Bible's big idea, the Bible's big idea in this regard. 
that sex is actually a living illustration of marriage, of what marriage is. And it's one that you get to participate in, and it actually serves to deepen and strengthen the very thing that it's symbolizing. And so really it works like, it works like glue. It's like relationship glue to bind people together. Right? Think about it. Think about what marriage is. What is it? Right? It's two people that otherwise have lived uh, independently. They take their separate lives and they promise to bind them together in every way. And they promise to stay with one another forever, right? Until death, until parted by death, no matter what. So two people bring their lives and bind them together socially and financially and uh, emotionally and spiritually and physically, right? Live together, all those sorts of things. And it's a relationship that's not going to end except in death. And so it's, it's sort of the... Um, I guess, humanly speaking, the ultimate safe relationship between two people. It's a relationship in which you can be completely vulnerable and the other person gets to see everything about you. They see all the good stuff. They see all the bad stuff. And they say, I see everything and I'm not going anywhere. I'm always going to be with you. Right? So from Genesis 2, it's the idea of naked and unashamed. And so I think you can begin to see how sex, the act of sex, is an an illustration, uh, maybe a mini-drama of that reality. Two Two people completely bare before one another, vulnerable, and bringing their lives together very physically. Right, And it's okay to be that way. It's okay to be naked and vulnerable. With one another because it's safe. The other person's not going anywhere. And it's actually this this powerful physical and even emotional event that actually helps to deepen and strengthen the very thing that it's symbolizing, like we just said. All right, so that's the big idea. That's going to kind of be running through the background of everything that we talk about tonight. So keep that in mind. All right, let's move on. Secondly, Uh, I want you to see that misusing sex seems to promise life. Misusing sex seems to promise life. Look at uh, at verse 3. It says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Right, Like we said, this is a father speaking to his son, and he's warning him about being seduced by this uh, forbidden woman. Uh, and I think forbidden is the right idea there. Uh, it's not necessarily clear if, it's a, if this is a prostitute or just some sort of adulteress. But what is clear, either way, it's someone other than his wife. And so what, what we see the father, the father warns him, one of the things he shows him is that, look, it's going to look very attractive. It's going to hold a lot of appeal. It's going to tend to draw you in. Right? Her... Her lips seem, right, she's got honey lips. Um, She's she's going to say things that are flattering and uh, sensual and that are going to want to draw you in, things you want to hear. The dad actually, if you read through Proverbs, uh, the dad repeats the same sort of teaching in chapter 6 and then again in chapter 7. 
In chapter 7, 16, uh, he, the, uh, the woman, sort of the forbidden woman, says this. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Right? You see, it's more of the same. Um, she's telling him, she's telling him, this is going to feel good. This is going to make you happy. Come do this. This is what you want. It's going to be great. Right? You'll find life here. And there are no consequences. And so the father is saying, look, you've got to be aware on the front end that misusing sex, it's going to look like a great idea. It's going to be very attractive. And so as we apply that, I think it's important for us to see so we can be prepared for that. Because, yeah, I mean, it's true, right? The prospect of hooking up with somebody else, whether it's some random person that you don't know very well, or if it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? It, there's a lot that's attractive about that. There's a lot that, right, it, it's going to, we look at that and we think, I mean, it's going to feel good. It's going to be fun. And really, what's, what's the problem anyway? There's really no, no downside to this, Right? Seems to have no consequences. And we tend to rationalize it. That it's, it's just sex. It's just this physical thing. Or we can rationalize it like it's not even sex. Right? We're not, we're not having sex. We're stopping short of that. Um, it's going to seem like a good idea. Or right, misusing sex uh, in, in, uh, through the, uh, I guess the vehicle of pornography. Uh, it's very similar. Right? It's going to seem... It's going to seem to offer life. It seems to say, this is going to make you happy. This is going to give you what you want. And there are no consequences, right? Especially with that. Like, who gets hurt in that? Like, there's not even anybody emotionally involved in that. But I want us to stop for a minute and think about, think about the question of why, why is it so attractive to us? Why does it hold that allure that it does? And I think the answer is because what, what every one of us wants from life, what we want to find is we want to be, we want to be known and accepted. Right? Um, it's, it's what we were built for. We want somebody, right? This is what, you, what we all want in a spouse. Uh, we want somebody to have seen everything about us, to see the good, and to say, I think you are amazing. And we want somebody to see the bad and say, that's okay. I can deal with that. I'm still here. Right? Oh. That's what we're looking for. And so what I want you to see as we, as we talk about sex, right? Like we've talked about other things, especially like when we talked about this with alcohol. That sex always goes deeper than just the physical. That every time we misuse sex, it, it's actually for a deeply spiritual reason. It's not, it's, not just to, it's not just to get off or just because it'll be fun. It always goes down to our hearts because we, we want something beyond just an orgasm. We want to connect and to be connected with on the deepest of levels. 
And that's the real attraction for us. And it's going to seem to promise life. But I want you to see, thirdly, that misusing sex is actually going to lead to death. Uh, when, we, when we use sex on our terms, however we see fit, whatever that might look like, it's going to seem to offer life, but it's really just going to bring dysfunction. It's going to bring death. Uh, we can see at least a number of the consequences here in our passage. Uh, look at verses 9 through 11. Uh, Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Right? I think very generally, at least what you see there is that misusing sex is going to wear you down. I think the overall idea is it, in some form or fashion, and maybe in lots of forms and fashions... It's going to rob you of life and vitality. And I think that can look like a number of things. Right? But you hear him, uh, his flesh and his body is consumed. His strength has left him or her. Uh, secondly, it's going to leave us with regret and sorrow. Again, picking up with verse 11, groaning at the end of life. And verse 12 says, And you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. Right? You can hear, right? It sounds so sad and miserable, right? Right? It's the picture of someone looking back at their life and, and the, the havoc that has just been wreaked in their life because of misusing sex and how it's messed things up so badly. And right, look, a, a bunch of us, maybe every one of us, uh, knows that the effects aren't only just felt towards the end of life looking back, but they're, they're felt here and now, right? It's going to leave us with regret and sorrow. Another one, third, it's going to leave us embarrassed and ashamed. Look at verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Right? Pe- people are going to find out about these things, and we're going to be exposed, and that's painful. Another one, fourth, look at uh, verse 22. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. All right, do you see what that one's saying? This one is particularly tough. Right? It, when we misuse sex, again, as with basically anything else, it tends to breed addiction. You get the picture of him. Uh, he's held fast. He, he can't break out of it. Misusing sex tends to cycle on itself. And it will, it tends to trap us and pull us down because we want to be known and accepted. And so we go to that and we feel a little bit of it and then we, we actually feel worse. When we feel less known and less accepted, we feel you know, more like a failure. And so what do we do? We tend to go right back to it. We tend to want more of it and we grab onto it harder and it just it tends to trap us. It's going to tend to, towards addiction. All right, so... And look, certainly these aren't all the consequences, right? We could, there, there are plenty more, but I want us to think now for a second about why does it work like that, right? Where do those consequences come from? I mean, is it just because God just likes to, God has made this arbitrary rule and he just likes to zap people uh, when, they, when they seem to have too much fun. I don't think that's it. Um, and I think the answer is that 
Here it is. It's because misusing sex is actually a lie. You're engaging in a lie. Because of the very nature of what sex is, like we talked about at the beginning, to rip it out of its context of marriage and to use it in some other way, it, if and when we do that, it's only and necessarily going to cause problems. Because we're using it for something that's not intended in a different context. Um, remember what we said, right? Sex, sex is, and look, I want you to see, it doesn't matter how you like to think about sex. right? It's just built into the, the fabric of the universe. Just what sex is, is it's an illustration of what's true about two people in marriage. So when we engage in sexual activity outside of that context... Really what you're doing is you're declaring with your body something that's actually not true. You're you're involving yourself in this illustration, telling the other person, I am binding myself to you in every way and I will never leave you. And it's just not true. It's a lie outside of marriage. Um, If you've seen the movie Vanilla Sky, uh, I don't know that I necessarily recommend it, but... Um, Cameron Diaz, uh, her character, has an amazing line in this movie. About as good as it gets. Uh, she, she delivers this line to Tom Cruise, who, as best I recall, uh, they had hooked up, and then he was kind of done with her. And this is what she says. She says, when you sleep with somebody, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Look, that's amazing. Like, that's exactly it. Your body makes a promise whether you do or not. That's exactly true. Right? It only will mess things up. Like we said, sex is designed to be like glue, right? To to bind two people together so that they don't come apart. Uh, you know what it's like uh, you know, now that w- with kids, uh, and I don't know if they're good stickers or bad stickers, but the really good or the really bad ones, when you know when they when they get put on something, that they shouldn't get put on, and you try to take it off, and no matter how careful you are, there's still like that paper and the residue. Like it's just it's done. Like there's gonna be that little, right? That's sort of the picture. Why? Because it's not designed to come off. You put that sticker on there, just leave it, man. Because it's not supposed to come off. If you pull it off, there's going to be damage. That's sort of the picture. That's what sex is designed to do. It's designed to bind two people together, and, and they're, they're not designed to come apart relationally. But we contend to treat it like, uh, like Legos or Velcro or something else, right? We're going to uh, put this together with that, and then we're going to move it and put this together with that. But we're doing damage each time. And the reason is because it's a lie. You're saying, I'm going to be here forever, and it's not true. So it always does damage. The same thing's true, uh, the same things that work with pornography, right? Um, it's, and, and maybe even more vividly, a lie. Yes, it's sexu- sex and sexuality outside the context of marriage. And, and it's not even, it's not real. Right? It seems to offer what you want, but that's the problem. It offers what you want. What you and only you want. 
It offers to satisfy your needs in that way. But that goes against the design of sex. Because sex is designed for two people to bind their lives together and promise to the other one, I'm here for you forever. So really the idea is that your sexuality is for the other person to meet their needs. Not so much to have yours met, though that does happen sort of by consequence. So, cons- But when we consume pornography, and look, by the way, if, this, is a, this is a male and female issue. This, this is a female issue just as much. When we consume pornography or masturbation, uh, it's inherently a selfish act. And so the, what are the consequences? Well, what we're doing is we're ingraining in ourselves, right? It's a fantasy. And that's the, by definition, a fantasy goes the way you want it to. It doesn't take into account the needs and desires of someone else. And if, and if you're thinking, well, yeah, it can't, right? Well, that's still your projection of their needs and desires. And so what, what tends to happen, and, and the stats apparently bear this out, that, that when you do get into a relationship with a real person, what we, what, what we tend to find is that now it's really hard to relate to a real person because they have actual needs and desires of their own that aren't mine. And we, we can tend to not know how to relate to them. Uh, or, and or, we have expectations that no one can or should live up to. It's very dangerous. It's dangerous stuff. All right, so fourthly, we've got to keep moving quickly. Uh, let's look at some practical ways to avoid misusing sex. Uh, I think... Proverbs here gives us at least two that I want to look at. Well, we've got to move. All right, first, look at um, 5, uh, verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. All right, I think that one's, uh, that's some pretty straightforward wisdom. You see what the Father's saying, right? This, this girl, uh, the one that uh, she's going to tend to draw you in. She's not your wife, and she, she's going to be drawing you in. And Dad says, so don't go anywhere near her house. Right? That's pretty good wisdom. Just stay far away. Don't flirt with it. And that's practical wisdom. And it may not necessarily be as easy to put into practice. But what might that look like for us? Look, just a handful of thoughts. Uh, it might look like, what might it look like to not go near the house, near the door of that house? It might look like, uh, for some of you, it might look like you need to break up. It might. And look, get some wisdom. Talk to some other people about this. But if you can't stop hooking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it very well might look like you need to break up. That might be wise. Not even go near that. Um, It might look like just being honest with yourselves and saying, you know what? We don't need to watch movies anymore. Because that's not what we do. Not what we end up doing. Um, It might look like getting a filter on your computer. Or locking down your phone the best way you can. Or getting rid of your smartphone and going back to the dumb phone. Uh, it might look like avoiding a certain friend group or a certain uh, social scene where you know that you, t- you tend to be tempted. And you, you just say, I, I'm not even going to go anywhere near that. Um, second, we've got to keep moving. 
uh, second uh, practical aspect. Look at 15, verses 15 to 20. It says, Drink water from your own cistern. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated by her love. Um, right? Hopefully you know what that's talking about. Um, look, one of the best ways to avoid misusing sex is to enjoy sex the way in which it was intended. And I want you to see that, that this is really a celebration of sex. The Bible does not have a negative view of sex at all. It has actually a, a, a fairly graphically pro uh, view of sex. I mean, even in this passage. It's very much for sex, but in the context of marriage. So I hope you see that sex is not a bad thing. It's not a, uh, it's not a dirty thing or sort of a, a necessary evil if you want to have a family or something like that. But it's actually to be something to be celebrated and enjoyed in the context of a marriage. And look, disclaimer, look, some of you very well might have negative views of sex uh, for, for other reasons. Like if you've experienced uh, sexual abuse or something like that, and you have very negative views about sex, um, but, well, first, uh, I'm profoundly sorry. Um, but like, that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, and so, yeah, know that. Um, I, I don't want you to hear me say, like, if, if that is you, that like, hey, just see that the Bible talks about it in a good way and let's move on, right? That's not what we're saying. And also, please understand that if, if, if you have experienced that, we would love to talk to you about that. And, and we, we hope that you would talk to us about it. Um, and I wish we could spend plenty of time talking about those sorts of things, but we don't have time. So, look, one of the best things that we can do to practically avoid misusing sex is to understand the Bible's ethic about sex and, and to only have, only have one sexual partner in the context of marriage. Get married. Get married and, and enjoy sex because the Bible actually says that's where sex is at its best. And that might sound super old-fashioned, but that's what it says. Um, if we use it in that context, that generally speaking, it's going to work for us. And be a blessing to us. All right, we got to finish up. So we've seen some wisdom from the Proverbs, and, and a lot of that's very, very helpful. But I think there's still, right, there's still some, there's still problem out there. I think, right, there has to be more to it, right? Because even if you, even if you're with me on what, what Proverbs is saying, right? Like, all right, well, what if I do embrace these things? Um, what if I do so? Like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to avoid misusing sex. And I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, just using the context of marriage. Well, here's at least one thing you have to understand. That if you pin all of your hopes and dreams on um, married sex, look, I mean, understand that marriage and sex in the context of marriage can be and is great. But if you pin all of your hopes on it, it will disappoint you. It can't save you. It's not going to satisfy you to the fullest. It just won't. And, uh, and as healing, there can be a lot of healing that a healthy marriage and healthy sexual uh, activity in marriage can heal a lot of your past sexual sin. It really can. But it can't take it completely away. 
It can't. So what then? What do you do with that? Or what do you do if you, if you really are trying, the, uh, I really am working hard to stay and not go near that door, and I keep failing? What do you do with that? What do you do with all the, what, if, what do you do if you feel so gross about what you've done? And you feel like there's no way anybody would ever know that about me and still want to marry me. What do you do then? Uh, what about if you um, don't want to get married at all? What if you desperately want to get married and it's just not working out? What about then? Until you get married? Or what if you struggle with same-sex attraction? And maybe you're looking at a life of potentially not getting married for that reason. What then? Where's the good news? And that's what I want to end with. I want you to hear this, that that very much how, uh, in the same way that sex is an illustration of marriage, I want you to see that marriage is actually an illustration of something else. Sex points to marriage in a sense, and marriage is pointing to something else, right? Marriage is really a pointer to something bigger. Listen to Ephesians 5.31. Paul's talking about marriage. He quotes from Genesis. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's amazing. Paul says that whole marriage sex thing, right, it's, that's a big deal and is, is like profound and amazing and, and deep as that is. You know what that's really about? It's about how God loves people. It's about how, it's a pointer to, it's a picture of how Jesus loves people. And actually, it might be the number one illustration all throughout the Bible of how God loves people. It's marriage. That even marriage is a pointer to this. That it's showing us, right, the good news of that God basically looks at people like us. He looks at sinners and he says, I love you in such a way that I'm going to marry myself to you. I'm going to bind myself to you so that we never come apart. And that means that I see everything good about you. I see everything bad about you. And I look at you and I think, I want you. And I will never leave. Revelation 19, uh, Revelation 19, the Bible basically ends with a wedding. Jesus is the groom. And his people are the bride. And look, uh, if you've ever been to a wedding, have you ever been to a wedding and watched the groom while the bride's walking down? If you haven't, next time do that, right? Take a glance at the bride. She's beautiful. You want to see that. But watch the groom. Because oftentimes what you'll see, you, you can sort of get a gauge of how maybe how good of a marriage this is going to be, right? Um, because what you want to see is that, right, you can see the love, typically, you can see the love written all over his face. I know most of you have heard this illustration, don't care, going to do it again. Uh, years and years ago, I got to go, and we're way behind time, but I'm going to tell you this illustration. Um, I got, went to a friend of mine's wedding, and I got there right as it started, a little late, up in the very back row, that's going to play a part. 
And uh, so groom's down front and the bride, you know, she's behind the doors in the back of the church and the organ strikes up, right? It's time for the bride to walk down. And so, and everyone stands up. Well, the problem in this church is that there's no center aisle, right? There are aisles down the side. So when everyone stands up, the doors are straight down the, the middle. When everyone stands up, the doors open. He can't see. He can't see his bride. I'm on the very back. My back is against the back wall of the church. And I hear the groom shouting, shouting, I can't see her. I can't, I can't see her. And what I can see, right, all the people are standing up between me and him, of course. I can see his head bobbing above the people because he's jumping. He wants to see his bride so badly that he is making a fool of himself and he doesn't care. He's jumping up and down and shouting, I can't see her. Look, that's just a little, I mean, can you believe this? That's just a little taste of how Jesus feels about you. That he absolutely loves you. Right? That's the taste of his love. And if we have that love, then we can know that Jesus sees all of our sexual sin, all of our sexual brokenness and all of our brokenness. And because he took all that on himself, he looks at us and says, I think you are amazing. And I'm never going anywhere. And look, the more that that truth gets down in our bones... The more that we rest in, in that reality, which is, if it's yours if you want it. The more you can find yourself in that love, the more we're freed up to not try to find it in sex. Because we found it in the one that loves us perfectly. And that's the good news. And that's what's offered to all of us. Now let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that... That you love us in such a way. That you would marry yourself to us. Would you have mercy on us in our sin? Would you help every one of us here to see that, to believe that? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.